With that, we're going to continue our series uh, in this short book of Habakkuk, a prophet uh, of the Old Testament uh, who wrote uh, sometime in the late 7th century, that would be early 600s AD. Uh, Last week we began this study and we saw how Habakkuk cried out to the Lord, how he was somebody who... Uh, was looking at the world around him, particularly the people of God, and saw all sorts of violence, iniquity, uh, injustice. And he cries out to the Lord over and over again. And here uh, in Habakkuk, we have uh, this cry saying, Lord, how long? How long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to let me look at this? And how long are you going to look at this? And this week, we're going to look at God's answer to this uh, question. Uh, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. So with that, why don't we turn to God's word, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 uh, to 11. Hear God's word. I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 1, just to give us the context. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you, violence, And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work. In your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen Come from afar, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read these words, we're wondering, what are, you, what are you doing? Habakkuk is wondering, what are you doing? But Lord, I ask that you would help us to see your hand of providence at work in our lives and the world around us, that we would look and be astounded, that we would look on with wonder at your works, at your sovereign hand. So Lord, help us today wrestle through Uh, this book of Habakkuk, and help us to see your wonders, particularly particularly help us to see Jesus, for we ask these things in his name. Amen. (laughs) I I think Habakkuk, after the response from the Lord, is thinking to himself, prayer is a dangerous thing. Maybe you've experienced that, where you go to the Lord And you cry out and you ask for help. You ask for some resolution to a situation. And 
you realize, you come to the conclusion that your prayers were answered, but not in the way you had intended or thought they should be answered. And you think to yourself, prayer can be a dangerous thing. Now, of course, as we'll see, God is sovereignly working all things out. He is, he is ordaining all things that come to pass. We're going to talk about the providence of God and what that means for us. But in the midst of that, we are going to see that our ways are not his ways. We're going to see that God works and moves in ways that don't make sense to us, particularly in the moment. And we're going to wonder, Lord, what are you doing? And my goal, my hope for us this morning is that we would see God as at work. But not just that he is at work, but that he is at work for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. As we look at the things that happen around us and we wonder at the chaos, we look and say, God, what are you doing? For we want to see you glorified. We want to see Christ manifest. We want to see how you are working. Lord, help us to see and to wonder and to be in awe. That's my hope this morning. And we're going to do that in a few ways. First, I want us to look and see that God is, in fact, at work. That's the first thing uh, that I want us to see. And so we're going to begin in verse 5 here. This is the Lord's answer to uh, the prophet Habakkuk's complaint, his lament here. He says, God says, look among the nations and see. We ended with this last week, and we're beginning with it this week. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's, it's an interesting beginning to, about, to what he's about to say. God is saying to, to Habakkuk, look. See, and particularly, he takes Habakkuk and he points his eyes to the nations. Now, I don't know how news spread in the ancient world. They did not have CNN. They did not have, uh, you know, 24-hour news cycles. But likely, Habakkuk saw what was happening in the ancient world around him. And, and what was happening in the ancient world around him? We talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but it, you'll remember the northern kingdom of Israel has been demolished, has been taken away into captivity by Assyria. Assyria was the big, the big guy on the block, the, the nation uh, that, that came at God's hand to discipline his people, but was, you know, a nation that was fighting other nations as well. And one of those uh, nations that Assyria was fighting was sort of amongst its, itself in the south, down in sort of what we might say the Fertile Crescent area, like between the Tigris and Euphrates. There was a people, they were called the Chaldeans, and they had been a great people, but now Assyria was the great people, but they were rising up. They were starting to gain power, and so Assyria's trying to squash them down, and yet they keep cropping up. And in fact, uh, one, of, one of the names, it was the father of a famous king in the Old Testament named Nebuchadnezzar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar named Nabopolassar, I think that's sort of how you pronounce it, Nabopolassar, something like that, uh, came to prominence and took the city of Babylon, this great ancient city, and, and established, started to establish this kingdom of Babylon once again. Now, 
Assyria was fighting, and I'm guessing that news had spread as far as Judah. What's going on in the greater world? You know, we turn on our news feeds and we see what's going on in the greater world. How is China positioning itself? What is Russia doing? How is Iran reacting? Or other nations, what's going on in the world? That's probably what happens here. God says, look and see what's going on. And you have this little uh, city-state of Babylon growing. Not just that, not just that they take Babylon, but they take other cities as well. And eventually, the Babylonians, by probably about the time that Habakkuk is writing, take the cities of Nineveh and uh, As- Asar, I think is the name, or Asur. And those two cities, Nineveh, you'll remember from the story of Jonah. Do you remember Jonah going to Nineveh? So that was the capital city of the, of the Assyrians. And Babylon, under this king, Nabopolassar, takes the capital city of Nineveh. They take the religious center of the Assyrians in Assur, or Assur. And so here is, here is this prophet who wants to know what God is going to do about the people that are surrounding him, the Israelites who are there in Jerusalem who are doing wicked things. And he cries out to God, how long are you going to be distant? And God says, look at what's going on in the nations around you. Look out and see that I am at work. That's a strange answer, isn't it? Why why would God have him turn his eyes to these ancient Near East battles that are going on uh, in the neighboring uh, countries? What does this have to do with Israel? I believe that God wants him to look and see that he is at work. That he is the God who rules not only Israel and all the problems that are in Israel, but he's the God who is at work over the nations. He is in control of all of these things. And he says, wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then he says, I am raising the Chaldeans, those Babylonians up. I think there's an important theological truth embedded in this statement that I think may be one of the most challenging concepts in our theology. It is the theology of providence. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard that word used. Maybe some of you don't know what that means. You can think of the city of providence in Rhode Island. Um, but, But what is providence? It is that God is the king, the sovereign one, who is over all peoples and all nations, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know how many good nations there are, but there's a lot of bad and ugly nations, aren't there? And God is sovereignly working through them and in them and and over them. He is the one who ordains all things that comes to pass. He upholds and he rules and he ordains. Now, why is that such a difficult topic because it brings up the question of well if God is raising up this wicked nation of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians what does that say about God? Is he good? Is he he powerful? 
In a minute, we'll come back to consider how God's ways are not our ways as we look at the rising nation of Babylon. But for now, I just want us to consider this doctrine. I think it's a hard doctrine. Put it into classic form of the question, if God is good and powerful, how come he allows evil to persist? Have you asked that question? I've asked that question. In fact, over the course of the past year, I've asked that question quite a bit. Over the course of the past couple of years, I've wondered, why, Lord, are you allowing this pandemic to, to tear at the very fabric of our society? Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to go on? I want to carefully state a few truths about this doctrine that are important. First, that while God ordains all things that come to pass, that he upholds all things, that he is providentially working all things out, he is not the author of evil. That's a very important distinction. You have to recognize God as the sovereign king rules and ordains all things, and yet he is not the author of evil. He allows evil. He allows evil actors to do evil things, including you and me. Think about that. You and I, God allows to do evil. And when you or I do evil, it's not because God desires it according to his character or his precepts or his law. He doesn't desire it. He desires that you would do good, that you would act righteously. But nevertheless, he allows it. Secondly, he is not responsible. He is not even close to the sin, we are responsible for our sin. Yet there is nothing that happens that is not under his sovereign authority. And this isn't uh, something I can totally grasp in my mind. I'll be completely honest with you. I don't completely understand how this is true, that God ordains all things, that he's the ruler of all things, and yet he allows evil to, to exist. He allows us to do the things that we shouldn't do. Those two things are true. He isn't the author, and yet he is the ordainer. Uh, I realize that this is hard to get our minds around. I'm going to read from our confession of faith. This is our church uh, has a confession of faith. We looked at uh, some of the catechism questions that are born out of the confession of faith um, or written at the same time as the confession. This is, a, this is an old document. It was written for the church as a way of sort of summarizing what truths we find in Scripture. And this is in our confession on the topic of providence. And I want, I'm going to read it, and then I'll summarize it, because I think it's a little com confusing. Um, but I think it's important for us to hear the nuance of this. Okay. This is on providence. The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifests themselves in his providence, that it extends itself even to the first fall. In other words, his providence extends all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. And all other sins of angels and men, 
And it's not just by bare permission, meaning it isn't just as like, I give you permission, but he's, he's joined it in the most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing in them in such a way that he accomplishes his own holy ends. So this is the, this is the mystery, right? And yet, the doctrine written down says, so as the sinfulness does not come from him, or come from uh, him, but from the creature, that being most holy, righteous, he cannot be the author, the righteous one, he can neither be the author of sin or approver of it. Let me put this really succinctly. What we intend for evil, God uses for good. So when you think about what is the Lord doing, you have to first ask the question, what are we doing? What is it that I'm doing? What is it, how am I rebelling against my creator? What are the things that I do in, in, uh, in rebellion against God? And then ask the question, what is God doing in spite of me? What wondrous works is he doing in spite of me? Uh, there are a couple examples in scripture that we could run to for to show this doctrine very clearly. But I think one of the most clear examples of this, and I think I brought it up last week, is the, is the, the story of Joseph. For those of you who don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph uh, was uh, one of uh, the sons of Jacob. He was the prized son of Jacob. And he was hated by his brothers. And his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and eventually he ended up in Egypt as a slave and even in that, he, he, he was falsely accused, ended up in prison, was in the dead, dead, dark dungeon of Egypt uh, when the Lord used him in that situation to raise him up to a place of prominence in Egypt. And he does all that. The Lord is doing all that work through the wickedness of his brothers, through the wickedness of, uh, of uh, Potiphar's wife, through, through all this stuff that's going on that is that is evil and wicked, God is using it for good. So that by the time uh, 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 Joseph is sort of ruling over Egypt as second in command, he is organizing the food program to help prevent uh, uh, a famine. And what happens in the famine is that his brothers come back to him. And they don't know he's now in second in command. They think he's dead. And they come to him and they come out and they realize that this is their brother. And, and, and he's weeping, and they're scared. And Joseph says to them, listen, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. There's the doctrine of providence. Not necessarily in some theological neat package, but it is that picture of the Lord of heaven and earth working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, doctrine of providence. Friends, this is not easy stuff, but it's important stuff. It changes the way you and I look at the world, and it changes the way you and I look at God. You see, I think we're tempted to look at the chaos of the world and say God is absent. God isn't present, or God is impotent. He's not strong. 
or God is gone. Or God is sitting on heaven, wringing his hands and saying, please don't do that. Oh, you did it again. Please don't do that without any power. I think that's sometimes how we look at the world and we look at God. But God, through Scripture, teaches us. And God is telling Habakkuk that he is in control. And that changes the way we look at things. All the chaos around us, yeah, it's on account of our sin as man, as humankind. Yes, it's on account of our rebellion against God, and God hates it, and he will judge it. Nevertheless, God is in control. He's in control of this pandemic. He's in control of our nation's leaders. He's in control of the situation in Afghanistan. He is in control of the brokenness and seeming chaos that exists in our own personal families and lives. And he's in control and rules over your heart. When you wrestle with sin and you say, Lord, how long am I going to wrestle with this? Remind yourself, God is sovereign. Cry out to him as the one who is in control. We are responsible for sin. But God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is at work, and he calls us to look and see, to wonder and to be astounded that he is doing a work that in our days, in our days that if you saw it, you would not believe it if you were told. This calls for a response from us. And, and I want to I come back to it, to how we might respond at the very end. But for right now, I just want us to, to wrestle with that doctrine of providence and see that the Lord is calling us to look and to wonder. But the second thing that I want us to look and see is that God's ways are not our ways. <laughs> they are just not. Uh, you don't have to live long in this life to realize that, that you know, all the best laid plans of mice and men are not, right? Um, in our text, if we had stopped at verse 5, I think we would presume that God would have swooped in and saved the people of Israel and reestablished them and restored the covenant relationship with them. Yeah, stopping the wicked, but settling the people back into the blessing of the promised land. I think that's what Habakkuk was hoping for. Lord, do, do deal with the sin of the nation and reestablish our place in this promised land. That's, I think, in Habakkuk's mind how it would have gone down. But this is not how the Lord answers Habakkuk's prayer, is it? Instead, he raises up the Chaldeans in response to Habakkuk's prayer. Now, in our text, we don't necessarily see how he's, the Lord is going to use the Chaldeans. It isn't explicitly stated. But uh, Habakkuk clearly understood what the Lord was going to do with the Chaldeans because he says in verse 12, which you guys uh, you don't have for you printed in your bulletins, but if you have your Bibles open, you can read. He says uh, this. He says, O Lord, you have ordained them, that is the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, as judgment. And then he goes on and he says, And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. This is the role that Habakkuk saw the Chaldeans playing. When he looked at the nations and saw Babylon on the rise, conquering the Assyrians, he knew the next step was to come into Jerusalem and knock on the door. And guess what? Under Nebuchadnezzar, the son of the previous king, that's exactly what happens. Nebuchadnezzar comes and knocks on the door. 
Um, and we don't have time to go into how it all unfolds, but that is exactly how Habakkuk saw things unfolding. And so, who are these Chaldeans? Let's just look at the description, because I think it's, it's, quite, uh, it's an interesting description, and there's a few things that I want to highlight about the Chaldeans. First, uh, what are they like? Well, we learned some things. They are those that march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. In other words, they are a nation that is conquering. They are an imperialistic nation. They are a nation that is going out and saying, mine, 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 mine. And they're going from city to city, taking things that don't belong to them. That's one thing. Uh, not only that, but they are a dreaded and feared nation. That We see this uh, first with the Assyrians. They, they, they kind of rise up in, within the Assyrian uh, uh, kingdom, but they, they soon take over the Assyrian kingdom, and there will be a very famous battle, famous historical battle that the, the, the Babylonians will also fight against the Egyptians, the other big kid on the block. Soon Babel, Babel will take over all of the area, all of the region, and in the words of these folks, the whole earth, everything that they knew. They were dreaded and feared. Another thing they did is they defined justice for themselves. I love that because doesn't that, doesn't that express our humanness apart from God, that we would define justice for ourselves? It's, it's interesting. Whenever, whenever we want something, we just say, I'm, I'm crying for justice. That's what we do. And then we, then we shape justice around what is good for us. That's, that's who we are. And in the process, we probably do injustice to others, but we don't think like that, right? Um, we define justice for ourselves. Well, that's exactly what the Babylonians did. They defined justice for themselves. They said, well, well, we are just in conquering these nations and in killing these people and taking their stuff. What else? Well, we learn a little bit about the way they did it. Uh, they had a, one of the things that made them a, such a powerful nation uh, was their 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 chariots and their horses. Uh, you know, we think of horses as old-fashioned, but in, the, in that day, that would have been uh, the, the sort of weapons, of the newest weapon on the block. And they were feared because of their horses. Notice here, it says, their horses are like, are like um, wolves at night. They're to be feared. They're violent people. And they come for violence. What do they do? They gather captives like sand, meaning nobody escapes their grasp. They just scoop them up. And they're not fearful. They scoff at the kings and rulers, and there is no fortress that stands before him. They even talk about how they would attack a city. They would build, build these, these earthen ramp, uh, uh, ramps that they would then go and conquer these walled cities. They sweep on like the wind. They take a city and they move on. But the last verse, and the most significant thing that is said about these, these conquering evil Babylonians is that they are guilty. They are guilty men whose own might is their God. Now, this is really interesting because this is the piece that Habakkuk will later pick up and say, why are you using sinners, like worse sinners than us, to, 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 to punish us. And that's a, that's a hard thing. That goes back to that question of providence. But these are guilty men whose own might is their God. 
What Habakkuk sees as he looks out at the nation is this quickly growing, bloodthirsty nation sweeping across the region, devouring everything in its sight. And of course, this was God's answer to Habakkuk. This is, Habakkuk says, Lord, deal with the wickedness in my midst. I don't want to look on it anymore. And God says, okay, Habakkuk, but in order to deal with the wickedness of my people, I need to expose them. I need to show them what it means to be wicked. I'm going to bring an even worse nation, the full flower of wickedness and of sin, so that they understand what violence and iniquity really is. Because you want to, they need to understand what they're doing. And to do that, I'm going to show them what it's like. I'm going to bring in a nation that is more violent, more sinful, and more wicked. And as we'll see next week, Habakkuk is not thrilled with God's plan. Lord, really? That's the answer? Bringing about terror and judgment? I mean, a little judgment is okay. But wholesale destruction and devastation at the hands of these wicked conquering hordes that are coming across the world? Now, I don't know about you, but I have often found myself wondering, Lord, what are you doing? If I were in charge, Lord, this is not the way it would go down. This is not how I would handle things. We often think we know best, don't we? Two of my favorite all-time characters on TV go back to the 80s, uh, go back to a pretty odd show, but it was one of my favorites as a kid, uh, and it's The Muppet Show. I understand it's weird. Some of you might be fearful of it. I was like scarred as a child, but I loved it. And my two favorite characters in that show were the critics sitting up in, <laughs> yeah, sitting up in the booth, looking down at the Muppets in the show that was going on, and just, just critiquing them, making fun of them, laughing at them, like, oh, what are they doing? And they go back and forth, and very funny. I think we're often like those Muppet critics, like armchair quarterbacks. We sit comfortably in our perch and say, well, if I were in charge, I could definitely do better. Now, it's one thing if you're second-guessing your boss or your coach or your teacher or your elected leaders. You know, we often think we know better. But we do it with the Lord, too, don't we? We sit back and we look at God and we say, Lord, you, you, do, you don't know what you're doing. God, why did you make me this way? How often have you asked that question? God, why did you let my loved ones get sick? Why did you let my loved ones die? God, why did you allow me to lose my job? Why do you keep letting me struggle with this sin? Lord, why do you let my marriage fall apart? Lord, why did you move me to Connecticut? Lord, why do you let bad things happen to good people? I'm a good person, by the way. If I were in your shoes, it would look a lot different. And this is really, that attitude is the root of the Chaldean sin. Look at it. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They are guilty men whose own might is their God. You see, our pride, our sin of saying, God, I know better, is that root the same as the Chaldeans. 
And it was the same as the Israelites who were doing wicked things, who were violent and destructive and unjust. They were saying to themselves, we know better than what the Lord has taught us. But God says, look and see. Be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He is saying to Habakkuk, I know best. Even when it's painful. Even when you are going through that valley of the shadow of death and you are struggling and saying, Lord, why? We need to remind ourselves that the Lord of glory is sovereignly in charge and contains all these things in his hand and is working out all things for our good, for the good of those who love him. We're called according to his purpose. And he's saying to us, look up. Look up. Trust me. He calls us to look on, not as those who would usurp him, but to look in wonder and in awe at the work that he is doing. You know, we, as parents, you, you, you know what it's like when you have to tell your kid, trust me, right? You tell your young son or your young daughter, they are, they are struggling to make sense of whatever's going on, whatever discipline you might have, be having to do or whatever situation that might be scary to them that they find themselves in. And you have to say to them, listen, son, trust me. Look up, see, I'm doing a work and I'm doing a work for you. That's, that's as parents, even though it sometimes hurts our children and we weep with them as they weep and we cry with them as they cry, even as they go through discipline, we say to them, it's because I love you. And so it is with the Lord of glory. So it is with the Lord, Lord of glory. He calls us to trust him, to look to him. And this brings me to my final concluding point, and this will be brief. Look and see what man intends for evil, God uses for good. One of the advantages we have of looking at this passage is we know the end of the story. And not just the end of the, the, the story of Habakkuk, but we, we can go through all of Israelite history, see how they are indeed captured by the Babylonians, taken over, that Jerusalem is raised, that they end up in captivity in, Bab in Babylon, that they end up struggling and suffering, but also surviving in that place and, and growing back into the people of God and then are restored back to the land under Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel and the like. And that there in the land, they start to reestablish what it means to worship God. But of course, these are all just little pictures. Because we also know the greater story. That, that as the, 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 the story goes on and what the Lord is doing is that he is bringing about the redemption of his people through his son. As we look at the cross... As I mentioned last week, we look at the cross and we see evil in its highest place. The Lord of glory, the one who should have been worshipped and bowed down to, standing with a, 
with a cross on his back, bound, hung, pierced, crucified, died. And all the weight of hell coming down on him as the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. We can stand back and say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. There's a better way. There's got to be a better way. But if there was any other way that it happened, if anything else had happened, you and I would be the ones facing judgment. But because of what Jesus Christ did through the evil of man, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. What God intended, or what we intended for evil, God uses for good. Friends, what an amazing God we have who can take our sin, our brokenness, our wickedness, our iniquity, our violence, our injustice. He can take it and he can redeem it. Who is a God like this? Let us look and wonder at Jesus. Let's pray.